because everything we talk about as being kind of like, oh, this is outside of marketing, we should consider it. I'm like, no, this is marketing. Why haven't you looked at it before? It's because they've always looked at it through the narrow lens of the, not just digital, but the area of digital they know. Welcome to Marketing Unfucked, the only podcast that helps you unfuck your marketing by hosting conversations with all the badasses in the industry. We are your hosts, Siobhan and Russell. And today we're joined by Tim Stewart, where we talk about how not marketing is fucked, but everything's fucked, and his hatred for non-literature. Let's do this. Thanks for coming on, Tim. And uh, let me just ask you right off the get-go, how do we unfuck marketing? So is it fucked? Yes. I don't know. You tell Carry us. Carry on. That's, that's the thing. <laughs> Define fucked. So, um, yeah, I think I think half the issue we've got is kind of is is comes right down to that. It's like, what are we defining as marketing? Like, I think one of the fundamental issues you get with people kind of talking about problems with their marketing department is uh, it's not what I count as marketing. Like, marketing is a much bigger piece than just how much you spend on Google. It's it's a much bigger piece than that. The product life cycle is 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 part of you know how you fit to market is is kind of the job. So I kind of I think how do we unfuck marketing is we stop pretending it's it's a, it's a synonym for advertising. You know, promotion is one of the P's, but it's one of the P's, and it may be the most obvious one because it's the one where the most obvious costs go. But buy-in in of itself, it doesn't it doesn't fuck things up, and it also doesn't fix everything. You can have the worst product in the world and advertise it poorly, and it will get do nothing. You could have the worst product in the world and advertise it great. It still won't do anything. It's not the advertising part. So I think that the biggest problem with kind of marketing, why it's perceived as being fucked, because they ain't doing marketing, they're doing advertising. There you go. Shortest podcasts. Like cool. All the rest of them run 20 minutes. <laughs> so, but no, but wait, so then what, do, <laughs> what does doing marketing mean if it's not advertising? Well, I mean, you, classically, you've got the four Ps, but it, it's it's everything from product development. It's like research. Do we have a product that solves a customer problem? It, it, once you've got to that stage, you've got to kind of fit to where the market is. Like, are we trying to sell something that is nobody's aware of? Like, literally, the, the entire market needs establishing. That's a different prospect to a market that's saturated where you're trying to stand out. So that both comes under marketing, but they're very different parts and different, very different methods. So you've also got to work out kind of, okay, if we're doing it differently and there is a market established, I'm not having to go to market and explain to people what the hell we do. Does my product have better features? Do I do a better job of delivering those features? Do I do it at a price that the people I'm aiming at can afford? How does that compare with new, new entrants coming in, new comp- competitors coming in? Because like what we set up doing five years ago, we could be taken out of the market in three years by new tech or new prices. So marketing's an ever-moving feast because the product and the market are an ever-moving feast and the people who buy that are. So is this what a else is it problem beyond then, that? Tim? Is, is it that people are calling themselves marketers, whereas actually it's a subset that people, the, the people's skill sets come in the subsets of marketing. So you can be a product marketer and, and understand product market fit and merchandising, but that has a massive crossover into conversion optimization, which is a subset of marketing. So is it that marketing is the catch-all for all of these roles that people could have? So is the concern that someone says, like, I'm an expert marketer or I'm a marketing consultant, but actually they're a marketing consultant in a few subsets, if they're good, 
but they're never actually an all-encompassing marketing expert. Yeah, so as a as a marketing as a part within the as a, a division within the business stands up alongside like ops, logistics, accounts, finance, and and you know, the, the manpower side of things, the, the resources side of things. That quite often it's just stuck into kind of one of the cost departments as ads. And I think subdividing the ads as subsets, I think, is in itself is still repeating the problem. It's just okay. It's identifying that there is more than one type of marketing, as it's termed, but it still doesn't fit. Like you know, the the, the feedback loop is incomplete. If you've got people who are speaking to your customers, if you've got people who are analyzing the data that comes back in terms of response to your market fit, you know, here's my price, here's my proposition, here's what I'm going to market with with product it's the right place, it's the right people I'm targeting, and I've hit it with X amount, there's kind of there's results that come off the back of that. Now, the one everybody cares about is, all oh, sales. Did we make sales? Like, yeah, kind of, that's the start. But okay, we also didn't make sales. Why? From the feedback we, we got where we did make a sale, did we solve the problem? Well, we think it fits, solves the problem, but the people actually bought, do they think it solved the problem? Don't know. Didn't ask that question. We'd sold. We didn't care. Okay. So the people who nearly bought, why did they nearly buy? What was the thing that put them off? What was the thing that made them think it didn't solve their problem? Don't know. Didn't ask. But you could and you can get data on all that. What does that do? Does that still sit in the marketing silo? Hey, great. You told us what we could deliver on what speed or what price with what materials and what production cycle because you decided that in the important departments. And now you've come down to me to promotion and I go, I took the money you got, and I got this many sales. Okay, is there not some kind of loop back to go, and here's why we didn't get more? But then aren't you just explaining the foundations of marketing? Like if you think about it, I mean, I've had rants about this plenty, right? So digital marketing has this idea of just being mar- advertising. But if yeah. you look at the foundations of marketing, real marketing, not just digital marketing, that's what it's all about. It's all about the full picture, about the feedback loop, yeah. about the I, strategy. I, I, Exactly. Like, I mean, I've maybe shown my age here, but that's what I did at my in my university degree. That's what I learned. There wasn't digital marketing when I did my marketing degree, but pretty much everything I do, and I'm not really a marketer because it's not my kind of area, but I'm, kind of, I'm in, like I say, one of those halo subsets. I'm, I'm in, in those areas. Everything I see is exactly the same sort of stuff as I learned from in, in my 1990s university career from books that were written in the 50s and 60s, from books that were written in the 20s. Like honestly, going back, there's pamphlets in the late 1890s where they are what we would clearly recognize as a long-form sales letter. It literally is. There are response codes. There are different versions of the advert going to different parts of regional papers going back in the 1890s, 1880s. Yeah, like people who say, oh, we do really advanced audience targeting don't realize that direct mail has existed since people had addresses. (laughs) And people were doing, if anything more advanced, but to a, a a broader audience, way back when it was all paper. Like there wasn't yeah. such thing as a database. It was just, here is a group of people that fulfill a certain criteria. We're going to segment them out. They probably didn't even say the word segment because that's the terminology that probably came later than yeah. direct mail targeting. Yeah. I, I mean, it's my, my first experience with A-B testing, although at the time we called it split testing because was in print, was in direct mail. I worked in I worked in print advertising in, in the 90s, and we had direct mail departments where we would send, we'd put inserts in, 
depending on what region the, the paper's been distributed, they had different response numbers. When you emailed back your postcard to win a competition, they had different postcodes on so you could track which one came into which area. So this this all was exactly what I was doing, which is why when I kind of found out, hey, do you know what? You can do this on web too. I'm doing this with banner rabbits. I've just invented split testing on the web. I hadn't, but I'd taken a, a process that I'd learned at university and then coming through my first years of work selling offline. And then when I got given a new set of tools, I went, hey, I could do this here too. And it's easier because I've got like Excel and I've, I know, the banners get counted. I don't have to kind of rely on a postcard getting sent back and wait three weeks for the distribution center to, to, to send over the report. But by that point, you'd already got people like Microsoft and Amazon already like building A-B testing platforms into their CMS. But the logic still follows. So I think there is there is perhaps a generational thing where I get confused because everything we talk about as being kind of like, oh, this is outside of marketing, but we should consider it. I'm like, no, this is marketing. Why haven't you looked at it before? It's because they've always looked at it through the narrow lens of the not just digital, but the area of digital they know. So then what went wrong? Like somewhere we must have lost our connection, right? It's, it's humans. We, we, we incentivize that stuff. Like this is always kind of, some of that stuff was difficult. Like it took time. It wasn't always accurate. You think about kind of Nielsen television surveys. You think about kind of exposure to TV. None of that stuff was accurate to a kind of a, a good degree. You think about polling. I mean, if we talk about like research, polling for elections. We have increasingly got better at predicting election results. We do do better sampling. We do do better normalization when we're aware the sample is out. But we still got to like plus, plus or minus 2 or 3%. And that's with very large professional surveying companies trying to understand what the biggest purchase somebody will make in their life is, which is basically going to be what government's going to rule you for the next X number of years, what will affect your kids going forward. And we still don't get it right with all the tech in the world. So I think where it went wrong is we kind of got given a bit of a shortcut with the digital side. Like the stuff that you had to do, I had to look at p-values and stuff in a, in a book. I've still got it somewhere in, in my garage, but there's a book where I literally have to go down, get the z-score, work out the p-value to work out my statistics. You get to the 1990s, you could do that in Excel. You get to the early 2000s, some of the tools, some of the, the, the web analytics tools are doing it for you. Like when I first started doing web analytics, it was server logs. It was hits on the server. And you had to go through and dedupe, and all you got was just a big dump file. And you had to go through and work out how many visitors you got and whatever identifiers we had back then. It was basically just server hits. We didn't have it was identifying IP. cookies. It was, it was uh, I, first ones I had was IP addresses. And yeah. that, that was how you identified a person. Comically, probably back then, People didn't like have fixed IPs, so actually it became a lot. More, it was a lot more difficult to group people because when you disconnected your thirty-three you dial K up, modem, yeah. you got yeah. a new IP address. So Every time. you never got returning visits. Ironically, we've moved to a world where oh, everyone's got reasonably <laughs> static IPs, and we're no longer allowed to use IPs anymore. So, yay for yeah. progression. <laughs> yeah. So, so I think I think a large chunk of that is is because we had those tools, like uh, you know, my first. The first, very first web analytics tools that I was using, all they were was basically a front end to do exactly the same thing as we've been doing manually on the on the web logs. And we are now getting back to the point where server side tracking and hits, particularly with you know, kind of you know, GA4, the paradigm being it's all event based now, we are now at a what was requested from server because at a a big level, 
we can't identify the person. We can't, strictly speaking, get anything else to identify the pattern, but we can tell how many hits hit our server, what assets were requested. And we're kind of having to go back to basics to a degree. So I, I kind of think it's healthy, and I'll take you back to our seventh stuff. Is it actually fucked, or are we just finally catching up with some technical debt we always should have had? Like, there was always a degree of social responsibility that, that seemed to be taken away when we came to the internet. There was kind of ASA mm. advertising standards for print, but you could say anything you wanted online. And we are now kind of more accountable than we used to be. So actually, is that not just a sign of maturity of the market and the fact that we are now, because it is the main channel coming through, we finally have to play with the big boy toys. And that does include like legal responsibility, social responsibility. GDPR is just a symptom of that, not an actual reason to drive it. We need to be looking at that. And that kind of <laughs> arrogance, I think arrogance is the right word. The arrogance that people believe that we own their data and we can do what we liked with it has bit them in the ass because one, it was never as accurate as you thought it was and people lost millions guessing or thinking they knew. And two, it was never your data to start with. So we go back to basics. If you've got a relationship, if you actually are dealing with a customer, you're providing the service you claim to provide, the customer can see the benefit of that and is willing to pay the value you charge for it, that's a business relationship. That's valid. And if you do it well, if your customer service, also part of marketing, if your accounts team, don't double bill them and don't mess up the thing and correctly sort it if they do. Also part of marketing. None of this is above the line stuff, but this all is part of the brand perception. It's all part of the doing it properly part. Then people don't mind you having their data. If you if you can show trust, responsible use, and they've got control, then it, isn't it better to have 3,000 people who like your product, do great word of mouth, repeatedly buy and understand what that balance is? I give you this, you give me that. I'm happy with that and are willing to continue with that relationship. Your job then is growing that pot. Why did more people not join us? Why do more people not appreciate that? Just going, I should sell to everyone. It's their fault they didn't buy. That's, it's still kind of how a lot of it's done. So that's where they're going wrong. Those people you never should have had, you don't get anymore. Well, let me put this to you then, Tim, from a what is unfucked, what is fucked, not unfucked, what is actually fucked. Is it, an education piece like i constantly am saying this and it probably i probably shouldn't but most people in marketing as an industry are not very good at their jobs and a big part of that comes down to their lack of understanding outside their stream that they own or work in they have no concept or understanding of the role of even another channel in an advertising situation, let alone qualitative data that you can get from MPS storing, customer service data, proper CRM data, and what the CRM could add to their role. And therefore, one of the things that you're talking about here is, well, actually, it's the same problems that we were facing in the 20s, the 30s, the 40s, the 50s. It's just probably on a broader scale, because there are more ways to engage nowadays, but the, the way we engage is the same. So I'm putting it to you that the thing that's actually fucked that your sort of your conversation is leading into is that people are not actually good enough at understanding that all of these things are available because they're not actually looking outside of their wheelhouse. Agreed. Well, I'm one up here. I don't think it's just marketing. No, 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 no. I don't think finance are very good at their job. I don't think HR are very good at their job. I don't think logistics are very good at their job. I think IT 
is probably the other kind of area where they should be, because given we work in digital, most of these businesses run, live and breathe off IT, but it's usually the most underfunded department for how important it is. But they're still not very good at their job because they should be telling people that very loud and clear and they, they don't. So I think I don't think it's necessarily just marketers. So in, in defense of marketers, I don't think it's just the, the people in the marketing section. And within this, I am including kind of product people through to promotion side. Uh, I think I think it's just as things have got bigger, there is more to take account of. It's it's a natural fracturing. You're going to end up with specialisms. And so people being in that little box is kind of the way businesses are set up nowadays. Is probably the most efficient way to do it. We talk about kind of T-shaped people and M-shaped people, but you know, jack of all trades, master of none. If there's that's the rest of real risk there. So there needs to be awareness of how that interacts with that. So I would say it's less that they don't know the rest of marketing. I think it's they don't understand the rest of business. Yeah, marketing is one thing that you need to know about, but actually, why is the product team saying we have to do it at this price? Why is the finance team saying we must have a return rate below below X, Y, Z, or why we can only count returns within 30 days? Because that's their business as usual. And if their business as usual is because it's convenient for them or cheaper for them or whatever, that's a choice that that department made. Well, we can't do refunds after this time. Why? Because by that point, we've written it off, sent through our books, it goes through to the city, yada, yada, yada. Okay, but that limitation you've placed on the business from the finance side means that we won't ever top out on our customer service score. Why? Because we've put down a business as usual, standard operation procedure that suits us, but not the customer, which means we can't fulfill those exceptional customer circumstances states, uh, cases where it was our cocker and we need to give it back and we need to be seen to be doing so. We need to do it fast. We shouldn't have to escalate this through 15 departments. But that's isn't not marketing's that just... fault. It's not marketing's yeah, but like... fault, but they're going to carry the can for it because that sale can bounce back out. Of course, but it's like you said, it's not marketing's fault. It is the general, let's say, structure of the company's fault, then maybe, or the people's fault. But then isn't it just really what you're saying that each department needs to have someone who does understand the big picture, that that talks to everyone else from other departments that has a big picture? It's not just yeah. a matter of how you're structuring your your company and not uh, actually a matter of each individual because specialties are important, right? Yeah. I mean, you can't I, I, have I everyone to be a generalist. Completely. And, and well, kind of, we, we always mention kind of, oh, I, I want to pick a few different names just because it's always the same old Amazon and hotels and booking.com and, and Spotify and yada, yada, yada. And, right. There's a reason why those, those companies have become kind of this paragon. It's one, first off, we're seeing survivor bias. We're seeing the ones that survived and we're seeing them 20 years on. So we don't know what mess they were at the start because we, we see the success, not the struggles to get there. But taking those common examples, they I think to a, every single one of those companies was built from the get-go as a kind of digital-first, customer-first company. That was their kind of raison d'etre. So when they built out their teams, they built teams with a view to having a very horizontal structure in terms of being able to be manage themselves, have their individual units, produce a level of excellence that is not looking at the business global North Star, but it's looking at their team North Star. And the whole business was built to have all of the teams cumulatively adding up to the business North Star. But they were built for that. An awful lot of the companies we encounter nowadays are either trying to jump in and be that level before they've done any of the basic work to see how hard transparency is and cross-departmental cross conversations are and thinking big picture with every decision you make, because it can slow you down. Like if I have to go check how that impacts 
25 seconds into the business, I can't be fast. I can't be. And what do we, we preach? The other thing we're preaching all the time is, is speed. Fail fast. Okay. Well, this Learn is the growth, the growth yeah. buzzwords that came around, which, which, which is why I, I get really angry. Off growth, on a podcast, growth, growth, I've discussed that with Jono. Yeah, yeah. 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 Growth it's hacking, just, it's like just yeah, drives me crazy. It's like don't hack it, build it, build it properly. <laughs> exactly. Like, but this is this is where we come into kind of so again, maybe there's a common theme here. Why are marketers coming into this with just a narrow view of marketing, but we still give them the label because they were told do this, get quick results. Look, this comes back to humans being incentivized. Why do businesses build things that are good for short-term structure, but ruinous for their long-term impressions and, and leave themselves open to, to competitors coming in or, or just decline, just hitting the end of the natural product cycle and hit decline and they don't get past it. Hit saturation, they think, it's never going to be this good again. And then it isn't. And they've got no answer because they didn't go back to the start and start development on the new product and keep their product life cycle or their diversification going they just rode the wave of something that hit lucky once and that's it and that again is 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 it's the opposite of what you taught if you do this as marketing theory product theory that is literally every your your when we see the grid your cash cows are supposed to support your dogs and your new stars i mean this there's literally studies upon studies of this everybody knows the buzzwords and then you go into the business okay which part of your business is struggling? Who's propping it up? Which is the area? How long, how long is your runway? Like, we're not a startup. No, but financially, even if you're not a startup, this part of your business is paying for your next big success. How's that investment work? That's that we've got an incubator department. Okay, how's that funded? Oh, we don't have that on the same cost line. Okay, so you've literally built it for your business as a tax deductible, but with no intention of making it accountable. And then when it does come out into the real world, it'd best be a blazing success because all the inefficiencies you let it get away with whilst you were building it hit the real world and it gets no traction. Yeah, but they haven't paid corporation tax for two years, so they're happy. Um, yeah, exactly. It's, but that's, this, that's because the incentive, isn't it? They, they are incentivized. That's not the finance incentive. That's not the market incentive. Exactly. But it's, not, it's not incentivized the business to build properly and good foundations. No. So. I don't think it's marketing fucked because I'm not sure marketing necessarily is fucked. I'm not sure we can necessarily unfuck marketing beyond. So you're saying everything's fucked, Tim. Yeah, that's what I'm hearing. Everything's <laughs> fucked. Have you gestures widely around? Have you seen? Well, admittedly, <laughs> your background is the Death Star, and if there was one thing that was fucked, it was fucked twice. Um, yes. Yeah. yeah. So it's it, no. I, I think I think realistically, I, I, your point. Russ's education. I think understanding there's more outside there, even if you didn't structure for those groups originally, or your business does not allow for that, or just physical separation means you can't do that so easily, you can still be aware. Like it's being cognizant of the fact that there are other things out there. It is having permission from your seniority that if you don't know, you're allowed to say, I don't know, can I get some support on that? And rather than being punished, going, you can't take time away from IT, you can't take time away from product. I'm glad you asked. I'd rather you spoke to product, understood why they made that, so you can concoct a better explanation for your customer service and spin it in your marketing and maybe reposition yourself in market to be appropriate because the, the constraints we've got for product based on whatever else mean that we've got a less good fit than we thought. And kind of the most regular problem I encounter, and you probably get this a lot as well, as you've won with the CRO side of things, is we're talking to people who want to optimize. They want to get, I want to get this much better. Why? Because we set this target. Why? And you keep asking the question, why? Okay. And so the ultimate problem comes down to is, is and why aren't the customers buying? Don't know. Do you want to maybe ask that bit? Because that's, mm. 
that's kind of fundamental to this is kind of working out why you haven't got something. And part of the reason why I've, I mean, I've not run an AB test personally in the last two years, three, because businesses that make the decisions that put a website onto market or put a product into market that doesn't fit, doesn't convert, even when you do get the promotion side, they hit the landing page and then they hand that to the CRO team, say your problem now. And they polish the turd some more and they try and get it to work. And it's still not adding up. You go in, you A-B test, you tell them what's made of, a lot of feedback, you do your qualitative and user testing, give them the feedback, and the next prompt you come out with repeats all the same mistakes. Okay, let's go look, let's go have a little word over here and speak to these guys who keep coming up with why do we keep repeating this problem? We have tested, we've improved it, we got it, so it's acceptable, the balance works out, yada, yada, yada. And the very next time we need to bring a product to market, do a new promotion. The pressure from above is, now you fix that one, here's another broken one. Can we stop making broken ones? Like I'm firefighting, but fire prevention is a better use of my time. Efficiency is part of that, but you can be incredibly efficient by cutting everything that makes it good. It's efficacy. You know, Does it actually work? And doing it, making it work within the constraints you've got is the ticket and it may be that some of those constraints can be changed if you're going to change kind of your your nominator your denominator those two levers can be played with differently and just expecting more results out by changing the multiplier well okay how much are we putting in are we doing it well enough are we putting the right stuff in in the first place and if you can answer those problems look look at what's causing the choices then, okay, hang on, we talk about measurement over here. Okay, here's a measurement plan for my marketing. How much of this are we measuring? Like, what is our wastage on product? What, what is our customer service turnaround? Why, why do we celebrate an NPS score that averages eight when our marketing team are heavily A-B tested to go send it out to happy customers and ignore any score below seven? Because that's what happens. As soon as you set that as a target, they start trying to game NPS. I think NPS largely for most companies is the no point score. It is just there for internal scoring. It doesn't actually reflect the reality for the end user. And we hear about customer centricity, but nobody does it. So let's measure how well accounts handle stuff. Let's measure HR. Let's get some data points to go, okay, if the problem is we keep getting this stuff coming through and because the costs on this side are too high, our logistics are too high or whatever, that means our price to market is too high or price is right, but we're getting too low a margin. Let's measure it, fix some stuff and then measure it again, see if it changed. And I think that end-to-end measurement is probably the thing that will help because in terms of communicating, I'm in a situation with one client where one department calls sale a sale. The next department down calls it an order because it's not a sale until it's been delivered. And then the accounts department call it a transaction, but only after it has been sold from one department, order complete second department, and it has reached a finite amount of time after order complete money in bank that they think it's not going to come back out as a recharge. So just saying how are we doing on sales this month means a different thing to three different departments who all sit around the same board table. And CEO's like, why can't we get a report on this? None of them agree what sale looks like let alone what refund looks like, let alone what profit margin looks like. Well, the, so, the headline is, Tim thinks nomenclature is fucked. 
<laughs> no, is what we call what we call there things. There we go. There's is, your answer. It's one of the major issues. There you go. If you want, you want the top tip. There you go. Uh, yeah, that, that we're calling headline. it. That is, we're calling it the wrong thing. thing. We're calling it the wrong thing. Yeah. What's but that, the but most fucked thing in marketing? Nomenclature. Yeah, call we, a sale liking, a sale. <laughs> we we like inventing words for stuff, you know, and and that that is that is basically been it. I mean, kind of you could be doing what we've been doing in you know every area aware of aware of the sales side of things, getting the website uh, able to use a CMS in nineteen ninety eight ninety nine. That was they, that that role was called webmaster, and they were basically everything bar the actual server DBA. And in some cases, also the server DBA. You know, now that's the SEO person, the technical SEO person, the what they're calling it now, PR, which is link building via another name, digital PR. We've got CROs, but we've also got CROs who only test landing pages, which to me is kind of that's just the very start of the process. And we've got people who only care about the funnel. So even within CRO, we've got 15 different specialisms and then you get across the data people and it all does come down to how we're classifying this the taxonomical breakdown of what we classify in business has become hugely complex and you know we have to be thinking across these areas but those areas they ain't going away they're getting broader you know you can now now add your little ai and ml like silos on the side and, and you've got the econometrics guys sat there going oh, i think you're fine if we bribe the market to want us more that we don't need to change the product okay but it's whatever buzzword and ultimately marketing gets lumped into the middle part of that going make me look good polish this turd and do it for a good roi and it's like you, you know you what's can. funny is that yeah. like you're breaking it all down and I, I don't know what you're seeing but i see this all the time when people come to me we have an in, in-house cro team that's doing this and this like you are broken down and then they come to me saying now optimize everything because it's almost they need someone outside to look at the big picture, right? Yeah. Because they're not capable of doing it internally. It's just, it's like, you know, as you said, everything's fucked in a, essentially because based on what you're saying, it's like, you know, this is not working, this is not working, this is not working. But then what's the way out of it? Other than, so you did mention measuring everything is a good start because then you can have an understanding. If it's yeah, possible. I mean, to, to what level of degree? I mean, measure the things you can change, if that makes sense. Like it's measuring for measuring sake is its own little mistake. Could you give that a lot? Look, we measured this. We're fifty five percent up on X. What does that mean to the business? But if we have identified inefficiencies, then we should look and go. Okay, well, what does good look like? Can't tell you. Well, should we start measuring something to see like what is a good way to understand if this needle has moved? And I know that kind of every time you set a, a metric as a as a as a target, it stops being a useful metric. But I'm not I'm not saying measure everything. But which of these things can we affect? It may be that the macro environment, our position means we can't change that on product. It doesn't matter how many failures we get coming through from our suppliers. That's just the reality. It may be that our biggest problem is supply. A couple of my clients at the moment, their biggest problem is not selling. They can sell every bastard thing they can get. It, it's supply, which we've seen. So what do you do in that situation? Do you just sit and wait till supply rebounds? Or do you maximize how much you make per sale? Do you ensure that you are, should we say spending wisely? I'd say optimizing your spend. But if you aren't able to grow because there is a constraint on your supply, then you market to the people you want to spend the most. It becomes much more of a value of sale than a did I sell. But there's so many people going, if we could bring up our AOV, we'd be millionaires, Rodney. And it's like, 
make the sale first. Like get the get the basics right first, then look to optimize. So same thing. If you want to optimize, measure. And I think just education. Like I think Russ's thing is, is tell people, I can't do what you ask for me. That don't be a blocker. Go. It would help me if this is the result you need. If you show me why that's important to your part of the business, I can then maybe adjust how I do my thing. So it's it's. It still gets my end goal, but it helps you. It's done in a way that helps you easier. And we both benefit from that. But remember that next time because you owe me a favor. Now, I think it's that, that the bit, how do we solve like broken standard operating procedures, business as usual, constraints, purely you know, defined roles that are spoiled by the label we put on them? Be human. Like This is how businesses have worked, is, is actually skip past that to a degree, go a little bit freestyle, but be empathic. Do like speak to people and go, dear Mr. Database owner, I know you've got this warehouse like this, but why have you got this ID as a string when I could use it as a as an integer? Well, it doesn't really make a difference to me. It just kind of defaults the string. Okay, really useful if you could put that through as a big int because the program I'm sending it to only accepts big int and I have to run cycles. They're like, oh, you should have said. Like those little conversations happen all the time. And I'm using that as an example because I work with DBAs and stuff a lot of the time. Most of the problem we get with most of the measurement systems is they measure what comes out of the box. Here is the, you know, Russ talked earlier about CRMs. They all come with a, here's a great example of the classic sales cycle. Here's lead. Here's marketing qualified lead. Here's sales qualified lead. And here is discarded and here is purchase complete. There you go. Lovely little phonograph for the managers. Okay. But what happens if there's six months worth of negotiation there and it's B2B? What happens if there are four decision makers in that process? And your initial person has converted as a lead, that then passes it to the procurement department who then go into the RFP loop. Do we have like a really bloated funnel in our thing where they're just sat in the negotiation pile for six months? We don't have the subparts that can move negotiation forward. Why does everybody fall out of negotiation? Because your RFP process is shit. Why is our RFP process is shit? Because we've got one standard procurement form. Why is that? Procurement said it made it easy for them. Why is that? There's only one person in that department. Okay. So that these can all be identified, but you need to measure it. You need to ask the question. And I'm not saying you measure it all forever. Like when I've worked in making production systems work better, we've put that kind of micro-management, micro-tracking in place for a short period, like putting heat mapping on a site, on a website when you're trying to track. We, you're not ever going to report to that level. You're not looking to move those needles on those specific things forever. What you're trying to do is look at the areas you can focus on best because you can't deal with everything. So you have to deal with the things that are most important, most valuable, and that you are most able to change. If you can't change it, knowing about it's important, but don't obsess over it. It it is what it is. Work around it. And and that, that, I think, if you kind of go back to the everything unfucked part, that's true for any department. We're on the marketing unfucked podcast, but copy-paste this and the... You know, the CRO and fuck podcast and the, the HR and fuck podcast. The, 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 this is effectively the same thing. So I've spent the last few years just turning over stones. Oh, that's a mess. Hang on. Fix that. Oh, that's an, I'm, I've got far deeper into HR and logistics than I've ever cared to. And there are experiments to be done with that sort of stuff, but it's not the same level of data as we're used to. It's, it's people. And I think if, you, if you're going to say what's the quickest, cheapest way to do it is trust your people and encourage them to make things better. So have them all be CROs. Have them all want to improve. Because if they're they're hungry for optimization, that shit happens naturally. If they're just doing their job, 
they do everything possible to 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 avoid being hit by the cannon fire. So one, don't make them don't let them pay for it. If they come up going, this could work better. I'm not happy, boss. Don't get back in your box. I'm listening. What do you think? How could we do that? Come back to me with a solution. And that's good management, but it appears to be quite rare. I think you summed up the last 30 minutes perfectly with that last sentence. Other than you didn't mention nomenclature. So I think we're going to wrap up. Thanks a lot for your time today, Tim. Um, Can you let the people know where they can speak to you online, find you online, what you're up to, etc.? So the best kept secret, I think, is that the people who know, know. They can find me. I'm like the 18. Um, currently on the Death Star. Uh, currently on the Death Star, but also in the in the 18. Yeah, probably the, the easiest way is on Twitter, at PGDI. That's P-J-E-E-D-A-I. In which case, hold on. We all... <laughs> nope. That's all flipped, is it? I don't know. No. Yeah, there you go, PGDI. There um, it is. We got it. And... Beyond that, LinkedIn. Search on LinkedIn. There's a couple. There's, a, there's an artist and there's a there's an architect. But we'll I'm, we'll I'm the put the links bit, in the description the really on YouTube hair. and mm-hmm. on all of the uh, other platforms as well. Yeah. So I'm on, I'm Measure Slack. I'm on Facebook. I mean, like if like I said, if if you know, if you're in digital and you ask, do you know how to get hold of me? Be, people will know. Yes. <laughs> The way you say that is like people know how to avoid you as well. Um, true. Also true. <laughs> also true, and it's perfect. It's a perfectly valid, valid choice. I'm just, just saying. It's, it's, I'm not. Doing, I'm not much for self promotion. I have a website, but there's like one page on it, and has been for the last eight years. Just. Yeah. All right. Well, that's it for another episode of Marketing Unfucked. You can find us on YouTube, which is potentially where you're watching this, or if you're listening to this, you can find us on Spotify and other podcast platforms. Siobhan and I look forward to seeing you all soon. Thanks. Bye.